Exodus chapter number 10. Exodus chapter number 10. What a blessing to be in the house of God. Amen. And I appreciate everything that's been said and done this morning, the singing, the, uh, the words of prayer that have been given. I appreciate the labor that went into the breakfast this morning and uh, the witness and testimony of our Sunday school kids and the workers. Man, what a blessing. And, I, and I'm thankful for you for being here today. I trust that God's going to do a work in our hearts. And uh, one of the things that's necessary for God to do a work in, in a church is for the people to be present there. Amen. He ain't going to be able to work in hearts if there aren't hearts here. And so I'm glad that you're here today. I trust that God will do a work in our hearts and lives. Exodus chapter number 10, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 21. Exodus chapter 10, we'll begin at verse 21. We'll read down to verse number 26. Exodus chapter 10, verse number 21. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us be in this place, Lord. We know we're not here by accident or coincidence. Lord, we're here by providence. You've brought us to this moment in time because you desire to do a work in our hearts. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be sober and vigilant concerning that truth. Lord, to have our minds set on and our hearts expectant to the work that you desire to do in us today. We've not just come for fellowship or for food. We've certainly not come out of formality. But Lord, we've come to hear from you today. Lord, whatever else takes place, if you don't take the administration of this service, Lord, if you don't do a work in our hearts and minds, all the rest will have been in vain. So help us, Lord, to have our hearts open to that truth. And I pray that you'd have liberty to work in us that which would give you glory and that which would please you. Lord, I don't know who may be under the sound of my voice, but... Wouldn't be a surprise in a group this size for there to be someone here that's lost. And Lord, I don't know who they are, but you do and they do. Lord, you know their name. You know the numbers of hairs on their head. You've, you know, every, every struggle and every thought that they've had. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, deal and speak directly to their hearts and to their minds today. Lord, they don't have to leave here lost. You died on a cross so that they wouldn't have to leave here lost today. And I pray that they would recognize that truth and call on you before it's everlasting too late, believing in the finished work of Christ, His death on the cross to stand for their sin debt and that they might be born again. Lord, I love you and I thank you for loving me. I'll never understand it, God, but I'm sure thankful for it. Help us this morning to please you in all that's said and done. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
As we approach Exodus chapter number 10 and this passage in particular, we find ourselves reading the account of one of the plagues that God put upon the land of Egypt during the time of the captivity of the children of Israel. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 10, the story's pretty well along and developed. In fact, we find that the plague of darkness that we've read about this morning is in fact the ninth plague that has come upon the land of Egypt. There's only one more, and that, of course, is the slaying of the firstborn son, the the death angel in the following chapters. But I want us to notice a phrase that Moses uses in verse number 26. Pharaoh has told them that they can go and sacrifice in the wilderness, but they have to leave behind all their cattle when they do. And I want you to notice what Moses says in verse 26. He says, our cattle also shall go with us. Then he makes this statement, there shall not be an hoofed left behind. In other words, he says we're not going to go out into the wilderness and leave behind that which belongs to the Lord and that which is due unto the Lord and that with which we might serve the Lord. But when we go out into the wilderness to serve God, we're going to take everything that we have with us that it might all be at God's disposal. I want to preach to you this morning on this thought. Bring every hoof when you go to serve. I tell you, we live in a day where Christianity is crippled by the fact that people want to compartmentalize their lives and their Christianity. We want to say, well, you know, Sundays belong to the Lord and Wednesdays belong to the Lord. Listen, I got news for you. If you're saved by the grace of God, there ain't a second of your life that don't belong to the Lord. If we had what was due to us, if we had what would have been just towards us, we'd be in hell this morning. And the very fact that we walk free and saved and born again and on our way to heaven is only due to the mercy and grace of God. When Christ died on the cross of Calvary, He didn't just buy your Sundays. He didn't just buy your Wednesdays. He bought your every day when He died for you. When I read this passage, I am immediately struck by the ways in which the Israelites remind me of believers living in this day. And you might say, well, preacher, uh, there couldn't be anything that would be similar between their experience and my experience. But I beg to differ. I see three things that remind me of the situation we're in today in which we need to be bringing every hoof to the Lord. First off, I would notice their sojourn in a dark world. This entire passage is characterized by the word dark or darkness. It's all about the fact that God took the darkness that was in the heart of Egyptians and unleashed it in the land of Egypt and showed them to be as blind as they truly were. Egypt was a dark place. It was a spiritually dark place. In fact, there's three things that the Bible tells us about this darkness. And it sort of reminds me of us as believers living in a world of darkness likewise. I'd say, number one, that it was a vast darkness. Verse 21 says this, that there was darkness over the land of Egypt. This was not merely regional within the land, but this covered the entirety of the land. Can I tell you this? We're living in a world that's gone dark. We live in a world in which it is uh, being universally promulgated and promoted. Spiritual darkness and iniquity and demonic influence is being exported in mass across the entirety of this globe. You know, it used to be a time uh, that you'd go to some of the darkest regions uh, of this world, spiritually speaking, places where men uh, worshipped idols and where men worshipped the heavens and where men worshipped sin and iniquity. And there you'd see darkness. But friend, listen, you don't have to go to the 
deepest of Amazon. Uh, you don't have to go to the jungles of the Congo. Uh, you can walk right down the street in Knoxville, Tennessee and see that there's darkness on every corner. We're living in a day of vast darkness. We say, well, preacher, I'll escape it. Listen, we better learn to reckon with it because we ain't going to escape it. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. It was a vast darkness. But then I would note this. It was a felt darkness. The Bible says in verse 21, even darkness which may be felt. I don't believe the Lord is being hyperbolic or figurative in that statement. He was saying the darkness was such that you could literally feel it all around you. I don't know about you, but it seems like in this day we're living in that there's darkness that can be felt. I, I, listen, I, I don't want to use figurative language and I don't want to be hyperbolic in what I say, but I'll just tell you, we're walking through a world in which the darkness is not going to politely seclude itself into a corner somewhere, but it's going to do everything it can to crowd in and crowd out in our lives everywhere that we go. And I'd advise you to just wake up to this truth. You better wake up to it with your kids. You better wake up to it with your family. You better wake up to it with your testimony. Uh, That darkness is not going to give you any quarter. It's not going to let you have a little corner of light to not have to contend with the darkness. You're going to have to learn to shine in the midst of the darkness. Hey, it was a felt darkness. But then verse 22 tells me this. It was a thick darkness. The Bible says that there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. This is fascinating language. From a surely a purely scientific standpoint, darkness is not really the presence of anything. It's the absence of something. But here in this passage, it was not merely the absence of something, but it was the presence of God's judgment upon the land of Israel. So much so that it was a thick darkness that could not be easily penetrated by the light that they had. Bible describes how that they could not see one another from day to day. And I can't explain everything about the miracle that God performed here, but I don't think they ran out of candles all of the sudden. I think they'd try to light candles and they'd be snuffed out. I think they'd try to light lanterns and and, and, and the light just couldn't penetrate very far. And, and I think they were living in a day when darkness had to be fiercely and deliberately and diligently battled against for the light to have any semblance of witness. Can I tell you, we're living in a day where we're, we have to be deliberate. I didn't say we had to be ugly, but we have to be deliberate. You can't think the world's talking the same language as you. You can't think they're hearing the same thing as what you're intending to say. We're living in a day of thick darkness in which men's hearts have been willfully and deeply deceived. And we better start getting bold and specific in our witness. Because if we're not, hey, listen, we will we will have a Christian pagan world in no time. In many ways, we already do. Of people who've learned how to talk the talk but don't know the person that it's all about. Here we find the children of Israel and they're sojourning in a land of darkness. But there's another thing that reminds me of us living in this day. Not just the darkness that was around them, but verse 23 says something interesting. It says at the end, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, it means this. The candles that wouldn't burn for the Egyptians would burn for the Israelites. The lanterns that wouldn't light for the Egyptians would light For the Israelites, and it's a reminder to me that no matter how thick, no matter how vast, no matter how felt the darkness that is around us, it doesn't get to stop us from shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we determine in our heart and life to do so. And listen, the darkness 
in this passage may have had the ability to push back against the presence of light, but God made sure in their dwellings that they were able to walk and dwell in light. Man, I'm so thankful I don't have to listen. You say, preacher, this world's a dark and wicked and evil place. That don't mean I have to be dark and wicked and evil. You say, but preacher, society. Yeah, but society don't have to be my family. Society don't have to be my home. Society don't have to be my church. I'm certainly not advocating a form of isolationism, but hey, I am preaching being a separatist, and I am preaching consecration, and I am preaching being different than the world around us. How different does your Christianity look from the secular world around you? So preacher, how different should it look? As different as light and darkness. As different as light and darkness. You could imagine as the Egyptians traveled through their countryside and the Bible talks about them not rising from their seats, but maybe they peered out their windows and they looked down in the land of Goshen and saw that there everything was not dark. There they had light. Don't you know there was probably some Egyptians, the Bible describes them as living amongst the Israelites who looked over at their neighbor's house and thought, huh, wonder why they have light. Huh, wonder what's different about their house that it's lit up. Hey, listen, when you're in the midst of darkness, the light don't have to draw the uh, the eye. It automatically draws the eye. When you're living in darkness and you strike a light, you don't have to say, hey, we got light over here. Every eye is immediately drawn to the light. Why? Because of how different it is from the darkness that surrounds. I would tell you this. Hey, here's the children of Israel and they're sojourning in a dark world, but I see their sight in a dark world. They can see things other people can't see. They, They can live in a way that other people don't live. And I'll tell you, when you got born again, God gave you sight in a dark world. God allowed you to see the world for what it is and for what it does and for what it intends in a way that those lost in the darkness and blindness of their sins cannot see. And you and I have a responsibility now. God, give us light. We better walk in it. I see their sojourn in a dark world. I see their sight in a dark world. But then verse 24 is interesting. The Bible says that Pharaoh called unto Moses, and this is what he said. He said, go ye serve the Lord. Now, the reason Pharaoh says this is because ever since chapter 5, this has been the demand of the Lord via Moses to Pharaoh, that let my people go, that they may go and serve me in the wilderness. And in fact, the entirety of this story is really centered around both the mandate and the desire of the Israelites to go and serve God. And it reminds me of this. Hey, listen, they they were sojourning in a dark world and they had sight in a dark world, but they were serving in a dark world as well. In other words, they said, God, you give us light, we'll serve in it. We'll go and worship, we'll go and offer, we'll go and sacrifice. And the entirety of this passage centers around that desire that they had to go and do honor and glory unto their God when they were in the bondage of Egypt. And i got news for you, it don't matter how dark this world gets, you and I are not absolved of our responsibility to serve God. You say, preacher, things are difficult. I know. You going to quit? You say, preacher, things are not easy. I know. You going to quit? How, how shallow would our Christianity be if it couldn't even shine as a light in a dark world and if we couldn't even serve when God gives us the liberty to do so? I, when I see this passage, it reminds me of us living in this day. And in that context, I find that Moses was not content to leave behind a portion of what they had. But his insistence and his desire and his standard was not we'll go and serve with some, but we'll go and serve with everything that we have. I want you to notice a few thoughts with me and then we'll be done this morning. I want you to think with me for a moment about the resistance of Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh places a requirement upon Moses in verse 24. He says, go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. He says something interesting after this. He says, let your little ones also go with you. It's interesting when you study the the pathology of Pharaoh, when you study his emotional, spiritual, and mental development or lack thereof throughout this series of passages. There are times it seems like Pharaoh is truly repentant, but he's not. There's times that it seems like Pharaoh is on the brink of letting them go, only for him to turn around and and, and, and retract his offer for them to leave. And there's as much a process going on in Pharaoh's heart as there is a process going on in the Israelites' hearts. But it's interesting to track the different concessions that Pharaoh wanted to make in letting them leave. Now, you say, preacher, what does that have to do with me? Well, can I remind you that Pharaoh, he is the king of Egypt, but not only that, he is the god of their world. He's not merely viewed as a human earthly potentate, but to them that lived in the land of Egypt, he was viewed as an incarnation of their God. He was viewed as God robed in flesh. And so Pharaoh is literally standing over the children of Israel as the God of the world they're living in, trying to prevent them from going forth to serve God with everything that they have. What a reminder it is today of the opposition that Satan desires to have in our lives. And you say, well, preacher, of course, he's our adversary. He's the devil. He resists us. He he tries to prevent us from serving him, and that's nothing new. But here's what I want to notice. I don't want to notice uh, the resistance alone. I want to notice the concessions that he made. In other words, it's not surprising to me that Pharaoh would not want to see his two and a half million strong slave labor force march off into the sunset. What's interesting to me is that time and again, here's what he says. You can go serve, but. Can I tell you something? Hey, listen, the devil don't mind you serving. But he's got some conditions if he's going to let you. I I, I notice a few of them here and time would fail us to look at all of them. But look back in chapter 8 with me. Chapter number 8, and look down at verse number 25. This is sort of one of the chief times that Pharaoh puts a requirement, allows them to uh, go and worship, but he puts some requirements. And notice what he says in verse 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. Now, let me pause there and say, you might read that and go, Well, there it is. Pharaoh offered and he allowed them. But I'd remind you that the thing that God required was not that they sacrifice in Egypt, but that they go three days into the wilderness and they're sacrificed. Pharaoh is saying here, I'll let you go serve. I'll let you go sacrifice, but I ain't going to let you leave to go do it. Verse number 26, Moses said, It is not meet to do so, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and they will not stone us. Verse 27, We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away in treat for me. Say, preacher, what do you notice in this passage? Well, I notice this. He, he didn't mind them serving, but they had to serve without their leaving to do so. 
Remember that Egypt is a picture of the world. Egypt is a picture of sin. One of the interesting facts you'll note as you read through your Bible is it doesn't matter where geographically oriented the land of Egypt is to the reader. When the Holy Ghost describes the land of Egypt, it is always described as a place that's gone down into. It's always seen as, as, a, as a denigration to go down into the land of Egypt. And time and time again in the Old Testament, we see the people of God when they're in rebellion, when they're in sin, when they're in disobedience, when they're in fear, going down into the land of Egypt and not trusting the Lord in faith. You see, Egypt was not just a place. Egypt was not just a country. Egypt was the heartbeat of a world system of defiance against God. It was the place and cesspool and petri dish of every sin and idolatry and iniquity. And here is what Pharaoh is saying. He's saying, you can serve God, but you ain't going to leave Egypt. You're going to stay right here and serve Him here. And can I tell you this? Hey, God's not content for you to stay in Egypt and serve Him. Uh, let me say this in two ways. Number one, in regards to you, uh, in, in, in your state with God, your walk with God, your, your relationship with God, you know, in many ways, uh, their deliverance from Egypt parallels the uh, work of redemption that Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And can I tell you that the mantra and theme and the mantle of New Testament Christianity is not that of self-reformation, but it's that of salvation and regeneration. It's not enough for you to say, well, I'll turn over a new leaf. You turn over that that new leaf, it's going to look as bad as the old leaf. What you need is not a new leaf. You need a new life in Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, I'll go to church and I'll serve Him. He don't want you to go to church and serve Him if you don't know Him. Uh, This is God's house and it's a place for God's children and it's a meeting place with His family. Uh, He's not got you here as a social endeavor and social gathering. If you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, you ought not leave today without knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. You say, preacher, here in this place, I'll come and I'll do my penance and I'll serve God and I'll give to charity and I'll do all those things and none of that means anything. And in fact, it is contemptible in the eyes of God if it is done apart from the finished work of Christ on Calvary. I would say that, hey, listen, the devil, he'll try to tell you, well, you can be a religious person, a church-going person, that's enough. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> oh my, hey, listen, God... Uh, God... Mm, Before there was ever a New Testament church, there was a cross of Calvary. Why? Because before the church ever has any import in your life, you need to go to Calvary. Uh, the church would have been meaningless without the cross. In fact, the church couldn't exist without the cross. The church exists because Christ loved himself, loved the church and gave himself for it. And to try to engage in religious activity when you don't know God is the very acme of hypocrisy. Uh, it is the very poison of the soul. Hey, Pharaoh will tell you, Satan will tell you, well, you can just go and be a good church, a person, go to church, uh, you know, serve the Lord, sing in the choir, teach a class, be on time, be an encouragement, shake hands, and that that's enough. But none of that means anything if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. But then I would say this to you. Of course, Egypt represents in many ways for the Israelites their lost uh, condition. But also even for the believer reminds us of living with and engaging with a world system that has set itself against God. And the devil will tell you that you can live in Egypt's land and eat of Egypt's fruit and still walk with God and serve Him. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. He wanted them to serve without their leaving. Turn back to chapter 10 with me. I want to notice a second uh, condition that Pharaoh puts upon them. Chapter number 10. Look down in verse number 8 with me. The Bible says this, And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, 
But who are they that shall go? Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Now, it appears on the the surface that Pharaoh, at first blush, was amenable to this. He said unto them, let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. But it seems as though when Moses and Aaron turn to walk out the door, that Pharaoh has a change of heart, and he says in verse number 11, Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now you say, well, preacher, what's the significance of this? You remember I told you a moment ago in our text that Pharaoh goes out of his way in verse 24 to say, let your little ones also go. And the reason is because in their prior meeting, here was the condition he put. He said, the men can go serve, but they can't take their families with them. I'd say it this way. He don't mind you serving without your leaving, and he don't mind you serving without your little ones. See, here's the truth of the matter. If we ain't raising up young people to serve Christ, we're just a generation away anyway. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. We had this Sunday school uh, graduation this morning. I love it. I enjoy it. And I, I enjoy And I'll be honest with you. I, I don't ever eat because uh, you can sit there and burp all service. But I can't. i got to preach. Amen. And... Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't be polite in mixed company, but I, but I, I enjoy it because I enjoy seeing the little ones. And I enjoy the, the, seeing the teachers proud of their little ones, the little ones proud of their teachers and, and seeing the work that God's doing. What really gets me fired up about that, the reason I really love it is because I know that I'm looking not at the church of tomorrow, but at the church of today. I'm seeing what God is doing in the hearts and lives of these young people. And it gives me some hope because believe it or not, you may look at me and think I'm young. I look at you and feel old. Amen. But either way, one of these days, the Lord tarries is coming. That torch will be passed. That's why the devil doesn't want you getting your family in church. That's why he doesn't want you getting your kids in church. He doesn't want you getting your grandkids in church. He don't want you keeping them there. Because, you see, here's the reality. They spend a lot more time out there than they ever spend in here. We better make in here count. Amen. Because they spend a lot more time out there than they do in here. And if we're not actively raising them for the glory of God, hey, listen, parenting, a parent is not just a noun, it's a verb. If we're not actively raising them for the glory of God, then sure enough, the world will get its claws deeper uh, than uh, Christ ever can in their lives. And that suits Satan just fine. Hey, listen, he's content to wait you out. He is. He's content to wait you out. If I could give any piece of encouragement to any of our young families, and I have a young family, and I'm a young father, but I, I, but something that I've seen, and I've spent a lot of time with older people, and I've spent a lot of time talking to them, and I hope it's been galvanized into my heart and into my mind, is this, that we only have them for just a, a real short period of time. I mean, it don't take no time. My kids are already half grown. We've given them all the coffee and cigarettes they can take, but they still keep growing. They're just, they're, they're, it's unreal how quick it all goes. You blink, and all of a sudden they're driving away. You'll never have the influence you have right now. Right now. We better do it right now. We better make a difference right now. Preacher, why do you have these Sunday school? Why do you pour money into it? Because we better do it now. Preacher, why do you have them over in children's church this morning? Workers over there laboring and pouring into their life? Because we better do it right now. Preacher, why are you getting ready to go up and you all spend thousands of dollars taking them up to camp for a week? Why? Because we better do it right now. 
Why are you going to do VBS here in a couple months, preacher? Oh, why are you going to go to all the expense? Because we better do it right now. Because Satan's perfectly content for us to go on and serve without our little ones, but God's not. I, I see he wants them to serve without their little ones, but then in our text, verse 24, I find this truth. He wants them to serve without their livestock. The Bible says, Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. In other words, Satan says, I don't mind you going and serving God. I just don't want you putting any resources towards it. I just don't want you putting any any of that which might benefit me towards it. Can I tell you something? God's not content for you to compartmentalize your life, but Satan recommends it. He is perfectly fine. I don't know if you understand this, because I know sometimes it feels like we're fighting all hell to get here on a Sunday morning. It feels like everything's going sideways and going wrong. Uh, Kids got shoes on their ears and the car won't start and everything's going sideways. I understand how it can be, but I want you to understand that if all you ever do is come in here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, if that's all you do, Satan's okay with that. If that's the extent of your Christianity, he's fine with that. He'll take that as a win. He'll take that as a success. He'll take that as a victory. What he doesn't want you doing is serving God with every hoof. What he doesn't want you doing is going all in. Pharaoh says, I'll let you serve, but I ain't going to let you take everything. Moses says, we ain't leaving unless we take everything. I think about this livestock, and I I notice not only the resistance of Pharaoh, but I notice the significance of the livestock. Now, you may say, well, preacher, Moses is being awful demanding here. I mean, why is he requiring that they bring their livestock with them? But remember, this livestock was not merely an asset. It was much more to them in their life. One of the interesting things that Moses says earlier that we read is he describes how that if they sacrificed in the land, they would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians. And often in the Bible, the terms cattle and and, and herds and flocks are used synonymously one with another. Uh, Whenever uh, Joseph brings his brethren down into the land of Egypt in the latter portion of the book of Genesis, the reason they put them in the land of Goshen was so there might be some separation between them and the more metropolitan areas of Egypt because the Bible talked about how a shepherd or a a herdsman was despised in the eyes of the Egyptians. Obviously, this livestock wasn't just an asset. It was something more than that. So what did it represent? What does it represent in our life? Well, I'd say it represents to them three things. And it reminds me of how that we ought to be with no limits serving God in these three areas. Number one, I would say this. It most certainly did apply to their wealth. In fact, I would tell you this, probably the main reason Pharaoh didn't want them taking that was because he didn't want to lose the wealth that that imparted to the land of Egypt. Money's a funny thing. Resources are a funny thing. God doesn't need it, but God demands it. God requires that we serve. You know why? Because we are so prone to become idolaters. We're so prone to become idolaters. I mean, I don't know if you understand this. Idolatry is something that is a function and motion of the flesh. It's part of the fruit of, of the flesh or the works of the flesh. And, and you say, preacher, I would never let anything become more important to me than God. Well, you might be surprised how quick you'd let that happen. You're not above it. I'm not above it. And the reason he wants them to bring these cattle out and surrender them and give them unto the Lord is they represented all of the combined resources and wealth that they had. And I'll tell you this. Hey, listen, if you won't surrender your wallet to him, you probably won't surrender much else to him. 
Now, let me just tell you something, just in case you wonder, all right, just in case you don't, we're, we're doing good. God's blessed our church. We ain't floating no checks. Amen. We're paying all our bills except the ones that make us mad. Amen. We ain't hurting. And this ain't because we need, I mean, listen, we, well, I don't, my soul, we could probably pay for camp 20 times over without ever having to worry. And God blesses and God meets needs and God does remarkable things. You know why? Because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Wait a minute. That included their hills too. You know why you ought to serve God with all of the means that you have? It's not because God ain't got no cattle. It's because He owns them all, including yours. They didn't bring these cattle out because they thought God was hungry for a beef steak. They brought these cattle out because they said, these belong to God, and how dare we leave behind in Egypt that which belongs to God. I'll tell you this, we ought to serve Him. Let's serve Him with our wealth. But then notice a second thought here. You know, these cattle, it's interesting. One of the reasons I think that Pharaoh wanted to keep them is because he had a livestock infrastructure that until the Israelites had come down into the land of Egypt had not really existed in the land of Egypt. And one of the things that that was astounding to them when Joseph's brethren came down was all that they knew about the raising of livestock. They, of course, had uh, lived in an agricultural area in the land of Canaan. And if you go far enough back, Abraham was a tent dweller and he was a raiser of, of cattle and of flocks. And so there was a long, illustrious history of them knowing and understanding how to raise cattle. In other words, Pharaoh, he's saying this, I don't want you to leave and take your wealth with you. But he's saying, number two, I don't want you to leave and take your wisdom with you. You've built this entire economic wing and, and, and we can't survive without it. You see, here's what we want. We don't want you applying your wisdom, your skill, your talent, your ingenuity towards serving the Lord somewhere out in the wilderness. It's needed here instead. Can I tell you this? We ought to serve Him not just with our wealth, but we ought to serve Him with our wisdom. So what do you mean, preacher, with the talents and skills and abilities that God's blessed us with? Uh, we ought to look at every opportunity and say, how can I be used of the Lord? Uh, you say, well, preacher, it might not be in my wheelhouse. No, but God, God's enabling you. He'll help you. He'll equip you to do it. But even beyond that, so many of us, we got a big wheelhouse. Things that God has blessed us with knowledge He's given us. Time and talents and energy we can be putting into the work of God. You see, it represented their wealth and it represented their wisdom. But then I'd remind you of this, that for the children of Israel, this had for many long generations been their calling and vocation. In other words, it's what they did for a living. And Pharaoh is saying, I don't mind you going out and serving, but you're not going to go out and take your work with you. I'll tell you this, we ought to serve Him with all of our wealth and all of our wisdom, but we ought to serve Him with all of our work as well. So what do you mean, preacher? We ought to labor for Him. It takes labor. It does. Anything worth doing takes work. It's not easy. It's arduous. It's difficult. It doesn't indulge or pamper the flesh. It's not what we would choose. But God uses it for His glory and for His honor. We learn, I hope, from a young age not to be scared of work. But then why, when we engage with the work of God, do we allow it to scare us? We shouldn't. We should understand that it'll take labor. It'll take energy. It'll take sacrifice. It'll take giving of self. And God's worthy of that. God's worthy of that. Moses says, I'm not going to leave behind. He says, hey, what would I do for the glory of God if we left all our cattle back there? 
I'll tell you this, the question should always be in our life, what am I doing for the glory of God? What am I doing for the glory of God? Is the extent of my Christianity merely the checking of boxes and the filling of duties and meeting the status quo and bare minimum of what can be called a respectable Christian? Or have I taken the entirety of my life and brought every hoof to Him? You see, when I read this, I see the resistance of Pharaoh and the significance of the livestock, but then notice with me and we're done, the insistence of Moses. Verse number 25, (laughs) I like Moses, I like what he says. Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Negotiation tip number one, don't give any quarter. All right? They tell you you're going to have to take less. Ask for more than you originally asked for. All right? They'll know you're worth it. Moses, I love what he does. Pharaoh says, uh, Moses, you can go serve. That's fine. But you ain't going to take all these cattle with you. Moses says, Pharaoh, not only are we going to take the cattle with us, but you're going to give us some livestock so that we can go and serve the Lord. I love it, man. And it reminds me of a few things that Moses is committing to. And it's things we we should commit to. I love how he says this. He says uh, in verse number 25, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. What was Moses committing to? What was he insisting that they be able to sacrifice with offerings? He said this, I want to give to God. He's worthy of it. He deserves it. He deserves my service and my time and my energy. And I'll not go out and just sit somewhere in the wilderness. I'll not go out and be idle. I want to do something for God. Let me tell you, in our lives, hey, listen, the devil don't mind us doing something for God as long as we're doing nothing for God. You say, preacher, is that possible? Oh, sure. It's not just possible, it's popular. You go to churches all over this county, you can go to churches all over this country and find places where people are doing something for God. They think they are, but they're doing nothing for God. I'm not trying to be ugly and I'm not trying to be cruel, but I'm, I'm saying this. Hey, if, if, if you think you did God a big favor by getting up and rolling into church, your perspective needs adjusting. You need a, you need a fresh eye on Calvary. You need a, you, you need a good glimpse of what God did for you when He died for your sins. I'm not trying to be ugly. It's true for me too. The day that I think that obedience to God is some grand gift that I'm giving Him and not just the repayment of a debt that I could never hope to pay off is the day I've let pride cloud my perspective. Moses, he says, I ain't gonna go out there and not do anything. He says, if I go out there, I'm gonna go out there to do something for God. In our lives, we ought to say, hey, listen, if I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to get up so that I can do something for God. I know you'll have to go to a job. I know you'll have to punch a time clock. I understand you'll have responsibilities. The yard will have to be mowed. The gutters will have to be cleaned out. I understand all that. But your driving purpose in life should not just be drawing a breath and trying to keep it together. Your driving purpose day in and day out should be, I'm going to yield this day to the glory of God that He might do something with. The devil don't mind you wandering out into the wilderness and going in circles. That doesn't bother him. What he's bothered by is when you start building off altars and giving sacrifices to God. When you start in your life doing something for the Lord, that's what bothers him. Here's his insistence to sacrifice with offerings. But then notice verse 26. I like this. Our cattle also shall go with us. In other words, he's saying we're taking our and yours. (laughs) Our cattle also shall go with us. And then he says this, 
there shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. Preacher, what's he committing to? What's he insisting on? He's insisting that they might sacrifice with offerings. But number two, that they might serve with everything. He's saying, I'm I'm not going to leave some in the pen because God deserves every single bit of it. Let me tell you something. You ought to serve God with no limits. You ought to serve God with no limits. Say, preacher, that's unreasonable. It's unexpected. How how could I possibly do that? Well, you see, that's why serving God is a matter of faith. In serving God, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I recognize my insufficiency, but I am leaning upon His all-sufficiency. I understand we live in a day of, 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 of life development in which people are trying to finely tune and balance their lives to strike some modicum of peace. But can I tell you, that has no traction in Scripture. The idea in Scripture is not that you compartmentalize your life in some neat, uh, tidy way such that you never have any area of your life trampled upon by another, but rather the perspective of Scripture is that you take all of who and what you are and yield it up to God and say, Now, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. Here's my life. Here's my all. Let it be consecrated unto you. And God, whatever you desire to do with it, I'll be pleased. Preacher, it sounds like it'd make you awful busy. Well, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But I'll tell you this, you'll never have more contentment. You'll never have more peace and you'll never have more purpose than when you're bringing every hoof to Him. We want to, we want to, we want to cordon some off. Say, well, God, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. I'll bring you this. I'll bring you that. But Moses had the right of it. He said, no, there shall not an hoof be left behind. Wonder how many cattle you got in the pen in your life. Wonder how many things that you, you've, you've put caution tape over and you've said, now God, don't go near this. This is too important to me. Don't go near this. This is too valuable to me. Don't go near this, God. I can't live without this. I wonder how many of you have left cattle sitting in the pen when you've gone out to serve the Lord. I would say, that in this passage, Moses, he insists to sacrifice with offerings and to serve with everything. But I like the reason he gives at the end of verse 26. He says this, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. I, I love it. He says, Pharaoh, you're going to have to give us cattle and we're going to take our cattle. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, why? He says, because we don't know how many cattle we need. We don't know what God's going to ask. We don't know what God's going to expect. And what a tragedy it would be to show up one heifer too few because we were trying to hedge ourselves against surrendering to the Lord. He resolves to do this, to surrender to anything. I'm going to bring everything so that I'm ready for anything. I'm resolved and I'm resigned for God to use my life in every way that He desires. And if I'm going to see God do that, I can't hold things back. I have to give everything to Him because it's not my place to say what He will and won't use. It's His place. You might be surprised what God do with you. I, I'm just going to tell you. I mean, listen, some of y'all have known me a few years and 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 I'll, I'll never feel comfortable doing what I do because I don't belong doing it. But some of you, you've only ever known me in this role, in this capacity. Boy, you should have known me at one time. I don't belong here doing this. 
I'm serious. I, I, I shouldn't be up here. I, 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 I was not cut out. I was not cultivated. I, I was not groomed. There was nothing. I, I'm sort of like Amos in the Old Testament. Listen, my, my father wasn't a prophet. My father's father was not a prophet. I was a sheep herder down in the land of Tekoa uh, gathering figs and God called me to a work. I would have never expected that. But you know, you might be surprised what God can do with your life. I'll tell you what he won't do. He won't let you sacrifice cattle that you haven't brought him. He won't do anything with what you won't give him. Let me make it real simple. You say, preacher, what could God do with my life? He won't do anything with what you won't give him. He won't rob it of you and force it of you. He'll only do things in your life with what you'll give to him. And so Moses says, I want to bring him everything. I don't want to limit him. I, I don't want to, to, to hold things back. I want to serve him with everything I have so that anything that I have is always at his disposal for any and everything that he might want to do with it. God would go on to do a great work, and you know the rest of the story. But imagine how hindered, how limited God would have been if Moses had been content to serve God with half measures. Instead, he said, no, it all belongs to God, so it's all going to go to God, and it's up to God to decide what He'll do with it, and I want Him to be pleased with my life. Here's what I think we ought to do this morning. I think we ought to bring Him every hoof. I think you ought to look through the cattle pens of your life and see if you've got one or two golden cows hanging out somewhere. Things that you've kept back from Him, things that you've said, now, Lord, I can't trust you with this. If If I trust you with this, you'll probably hurt me and take it away, as though God would ever do such a thing. I think every area of your life, you ought to just say, now, Lord, this belongs to you, and it's yours, and I surrender it to you. I think we ought to bring him every single hoof this morning. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. I want you to be at liberty to do business with the Lord this morning. I don't know what may be in your life that needs to be addressed, dealt with, spoken to, but I do know that we have an omniscient God and a sweet Holy Spirit that deals with our lives directly and intimately. And if God's spoken to you about something this morning, here's what I want. I want you to meet Him in this altar and let Him have His will and way in your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.